The last time I was on this stage to preach a message was 14 years ago. I had uh, grown up in Southern California. About the time I was 14 or 15, I had already developed uh, quite a, a taste for illicit drugs and alcohol. And I had gotten to a hole with a bookie. Uh, <laughs> I started young. And I paid him off, but I thought to myself, you know what? I've got to get out of here so that no one will kill me or that I don't kill myself. So in my little pea brain at that time, I thought, well, you know what? I'll join the army. <laughs> That's a good place to go if you have a drug problem and like to gamble. Uh, they didn't see it that way. I went to Germany and uh, served for a few years. It didn't take long until I was using drugs again. Uh, it didn't take long after that for me to get arrested uh, for selling hash and acid and um, it's just because they didn't find the other drugs I have. To make a very long story short, I was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Um, I did five of them in Leavenworth. While I was in prison, I finally bowed my knee to Jesus. To the best of, of my ability at that time, I said, you know what, God, I'm through fighting with you. I'm going to lose. I'm through being in pain. I just quit. And... Um, during the five years that I was in jail, I was uh, lucky, you know, that I, I was able to lead the church in there and to get some teaching under my belt and get some pastoring under my belt and um, was completely clean the whole five years. And, and trust me, you don't have to be clean in prison. There's plenty of drugs to do. Um, I got out, moved to the Quad Cities right on the border of Iowa and Illinois to a vineyard church plant that my brother had started. Um, in fact, many of you may be familiar with John Paul Jackson, who just went home to be with the Lord. Um, that was actually his church, and he called my brother out to be the youth pastor, and called my brother in one day and said, hey, you know what? The Lord's called me on. The church is going to be yours. God bless you. And uh, this is driving me nuts. Can I get that handheld mic? Thank you, bro. So... Um, I was there, and I, I didn't think I would ever do anything other than pastor, so I started to clean the building and, and do things that um, pastors like to see people do before they're given any authority. I did that for a long time, and I started to pastor the youth. Uh, to make another long story short, after two or three years, I uh, found myself hanging out with a doctor who had no problem prescribing me copious amounts of narcotics, and I had no problem taking them. I tell people that I was OxyContin before OxyContin was cool. Um, it just created havoc in my life. During this time, I was pastoring. I was preaching all over the country. Um, and my ministry was successful. People were getting born again. They were meeting Jesus all the time. People would pay me to come and teach them <laughs> how to be a pastor. And so I'd pop a couple pills and go teach them how to be a pastor. Um, you can't do that forever, as you guys know. While I was here pastoring, my life just started to spin out of control. Um, and so I resigned. Um, and what I found here at this church 14 years ago, now imagine this, you've got a pastor, John, you guys know, an incredibly gracious guy, calls me from Iowa, moves me here, gives me prominence, gives me an office, and then finds out a little while later that the whole time I was here, I was just getting high. 
I was doing the work of the ministry too, but I was completely 100% living two lives. Sometimes three. I, it's foggy. Uh, and I confessed to him and to Kathy and to the leadership team that was here at the time. And I was about as terrified as you can be. More scared than I had been in court. More scared than I had ever been. And I don't remember the exact specifics of the meeting. But I do remember that John and Kathy just extended the grace and mercy of Jesus at a time and place in their life where it was risky for them to do so. And they forgave me. And the whole ensuing number of years in between then and just a couple of years ago, John and other people from the church would not leave me alone. And I don't mean in like a hassling kind of mean way. I mean, they were just very concerned with me understanding that they loved me, but more importantly, that Jesus loved me and that I was forgiven. And so I want to talk this morning about confession, but while I'm speaking, I want you to think of kind of the end game of this. The end game of this message is not confession. The end game of this message is hearing either from God and or his people that you're forgiven. Those are powerful words, and I know just from experience that many people need to hear those words, some for the first time. If it is the first time, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to hear God say you're forgiven. If you're already a Christian and you've heard those words from Jesus, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to hear the words you're forgiven from his people. Both are very important. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here this morning, and we ask that your mercy and your grace would draw people toward you. And we thank you, God, that you use broken and imperfect people, God. We just ask for your presence to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Just so you know, during the week, if you go on Facebook, every morning there'll be a devotional posted there so you guys can kind of continue to follow the uh, confession through the week, but I'd like you to think and remember throughout this entire message that the spiritual discipline of confession is really about humility. That is what it comes down to. Are we willing to allow God to work through our Christian brothers and sisters in order to work out in a practical way this thing that you hear preached on all the time here, acceptance? Acceptance really only works when both parties involved are transparent and humble. When you're harboring unconfessed sin in your heart, it creates anxiety, a feeling of being unworthy, and oftentimes you feel guilty. I know without even talking to people that there are people that are listening to me right now that are constantly plagued with guilt. And if you are honest with yourself, it's guilt because you don't feel God has really forgiven you or accepted you right where you're at. I'm not saying that your sins are not forgiven if you're in Christ. Jesus is the only sacrifice that God the Father accepts for your sin, no more or no less. But what I am saying is that living in humble transparency within biblical community 
is one aspect of the Christian life that will help us be more like Jesus. And it'll make Jesus more real to the people around us. And you just might find yourself happier. That's a good thing. Because it's real happiness. You feel free. And you feel accepted. And you feel forgiven. That's a commodity in this world. I want to look at our first scripture. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians 2, but I'm going to go rather quickly. Um, It'll be up on the board. When I said that confession is all about humility, let's look at our example of Jesus. Let Let me say before I read this, I'm going to mention several times this morning about hearing God say you're forgiven. And so let me simplify what I'm saying. Oftentimes the church makes the good news of Jesus more confusing than it is. Should I mention hell? Should I talk about eternity? Should I say you're saved if you were baptized when you were a kid? Let me make it as clear as I can be. Everyone is born an enemy of God because our sin separates us. Blood is always required by God to satisfy his anger. What the gospel is this. Jesus died on that cross, shed his blood... And God accepted his sacrifice. For you to take part in that, all you have to do is bow your knee before Jesus and say, I want your blood to pay for my sins, not mine. It's as simple as that. If anyone says anything and adds anything to that or takes anything away, man, just remember, it's that simple. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now that nobody knows about. All that matters is that you humble yourself and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And then you'll hear him say you're forgiven. And you'll hear the people around you in this church say you're forgiven. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Many of you have heard of Dallas Willard. I want to read a quote for him out of his uh, book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, as a way of introduction here very briefly. Confession is a discipline that functions within fellowship. That's so important to remember. In it, we let trusted others know our deepest weaknesses and failures. Thus, we let some friends in Christ know who we really are, not holding anything back important, but ideally allowing complete transparency. We lay down the burden of hiding and pretending, which takes up a dreadful amount of human energy. Man, I can relate to that. It is said, confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. And a bad reputation makes life more difficult in relation to those close to us. But closeness and confession force out evildoing. Nothing is more supportive of right behavior than open truth. So the question has to be answered, why confess our sins to each other? Does it matter? I just spent several minutes saying how we don't really have the power to forgive sins. Jesus did. So why confess sins to each other? Well... For your blank there, we are commanded to do so. And in James 5.16, the apostle says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There's a lot of things in that text, but one thing we can see is that the early church knew that physical sickness and unconfessed sin were related. It eats your bones up. It takes away who you are. When I was living those two lives, I would... I'm not making excuses. I began to use drugs because I was just wanted to hide from the pain. Eventually, I kept using drugs to hide from the shame that I had created and just lying to everybody. I mean, I would stand in front of thousands of people and talk about being a man of character, and on the inside, I was a wretched liar. And the only reason I, was, I had the courage to do that is because I was high. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. I felt so horrible. I created this thing for myself where I, I wouldn't even believe Jesus would forgive me, let alone have a group of people that would know what I did and welcome me back. And I mean really welcome me back. There is no other place that I can think of that that happens other than the church because we know we're all broken. In this life, it's a good prescription not to hide sin. It damages us and it damages those around us. And it's easier not to sin if you're in a committed relationship that's accountable and that you know someone's going to hold you accountable for your sin. When I say hold accountable, I don't mean hold you hostage. I mean create a place where it's safe for you to get that stuff off your chest. A place where it's safe for you to say, you know what, I know Jesus has forgiven me, but Rick, I got to tell you, I got really ticked off at my wife this morning and I threw a cup of coffee against the wall. And I kicked my dog. I know I'm the only one that's ever done that. But let me tell you, when I tell that to Rick, I know my sins are already forgiven. But just to say that to someone and let them see my brokenness and then have him look back at me and hug me, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And confession has been practiced since the very first days of the church. If you read in Acts, which is the book that talks about the story of how the church was conceived, um, in Acts 19, they talk about all the people who had been born again and met Jesus and come out of witchcraft. And it just says, many of those who believed on that day came and openly confessed what they had done. Not only did they have to humble themselves, admit their sins, but they were living in a place where that could cost them their very lives. Cost many of them their lives. This thing of confession is not just something our Catholic brothers and sisters do. There are some differences, and I'll explain them. But I did see on the news this week, did anyone see the story about the Catholic priest in uh, San Antonio that had so many people that wanted to come to confession during Lent that he was using Snapchat to take their... You see that? I don't know that that will fulfill the need for confession permanently. Because there is something about humbling yourself before people. But just think, how many people do you have to have that want to get stuff off their chest to have to use Snapchat when you're a Catholic priest who lives in the box, the booth, whatever they call it? That's what they do. There's too many people. People want to confess. They want to be accepted. They want to confess and hear they're forgiven. So how does confession change us? 
Oh, it makes us more like Jesus. Let me just real quickly say what I mean when I say confession. I mean simply having a relationship where you talk about your shortcomings. Doesn't have to be in a certain place, doesn't have to be in a certain room, doesn't have to be to a certain person. But I am actually talking about looking at someone in the eye and confessing your sins. And then I'm talking about that person looking back at you and ministering the forgiveness of Christ to you. That's what I mean. So I really am talking about confession. Confession makes us more like Jesus. It creates a very intimate and healthy bond within community. As I said before, it helps us count the cost of sin while we're being tempted. I asked a bunch of people this week, um, hey, if you knew that someone asked you on a regular basis, hey, let's get together and confess our sins and be real and encourage one another, would you sin more or less? Now, I'm under no illusion. Confessing your sin doesn't stop you from sinning. We are still people who deal with following Christ on this journey. Every single person except one said, yeah, it really does help. It does help when you know that you have a place where you can confess and be accepted and forgiven. So that's what we're offering this morning. We're offering a place, you know, I don't know where everyone is at the vineyard here, but I'm telling you, this is a place where you can feel safe being real. I mean, do you need any other proof that I'm preaching? Really? This is a place that God has given a special anointing to be able to welcome broken people. It's happened for years, and it will continue to happen. And then after that, you get to hear God say, you're forgiven. And that's what will really change your life. It also creates in us a humility that transforms us more and more into the image of Christ. I'm going to look at the example of Jesus in the garden, but let me just say Jesus was sinless. So he had no sin to confess like I'm encouraging us to confess. But as we see in the Philippians text, he definitely modeled humility within biblical community. So I want to talk about what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then I have one more point and we'll wrap up and get to ministry. If you have a Bible, you can look at Matthew 26. I'm going to look at 36 through 39. Jesus was very close to being tried and crucified. Uh, He was experiencing intense anxiety and pain. And he confessed this not only to his Father in heaven, but to his disciples. Listen to what the Bible says. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. (laughs) Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You see in the next verse, going a little farther, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, as you will. Can you see the lifestyle of transparency that Jesus modeled for us? I mean, it's right there. This is right before they put him on a tree, stripped his clothes off, whipped him, and killed him. I understand him talking to his father. But what blows me away is the next verse. I mean, he tells his disciples, a group of people that aren't much different than us, People that couldn't even stay awake. 
the uncreative God of the universe looked at them and shared with them his weakness, his fear, his anxiety. The confession that I'm talking about within the Christian church has no respect of rank or position. Do you understand that? If we talk about rank or position, there was no one who outranked Jesus. He four stars, baby. No one outranks him. And he confessed his, his, his abject fear to young, baby, confused Christians. Man, I know that as a Christian, sometimes I like to choose who I'll be open with. Now, there is a place for wisdom, and that's what I'll actually close with. But just hear me say, sometimes the best person you can confess to is someone that is younger in the Lord than you. I mean, do we want to set the example of hiding our sins and acting like we're something we're not? Or do we want to set the example of being open and honest? I know it's hard. I haven't done it perfect in my life at all. But the older I get and the more I follow Christ, the more I see how powerful it is. And that quote about reputation doesn't matter. It's a secondary thing. I'm not saying there's no place for a good reputation. But what I'm saying is that a good reputation with Jesus is way more important than what people outside of those walls think, especially when you use reputation in the vein that I'm speaking of it. My reputation will be harmed. Well, you know what? That's called pride. And it's one of the things that will stop you from bowing your knee before Jesus. It's all about humility. And this discipline takes place in community, and it involves all members of the community of Christ. My next point is when we live in transparency, people who don't know Jesus are attracted to the humility and honesty we show them. They know we struggle with the same things we do anyway. Here's something that I think is really, really powerful when we talk about being humble and open. There are two places for it. One is within the community of the church. It fulfills a real need to hear that you're forgiven. Another place where it's just as powerful is in the marketplace. Do you know that maybe one, the main re, one of the main reasons people don't automatically or without much effort incline themselves to Christians is because here's the deal. They think, and sometimes rightly so, that Christians are fake. Sometimes they are. I was fake. There's something in them that's looking for an answer. They want to hear they're forgiven because their body literally aches from the weight of sin, from the weight of being separated from God. And the only hope they have is you and I. And when we walk into work, and the only thing we can talk about is behavior modification or how I watch more clean TV than you or how you guys should always sit at your dinner table when you eat because it's the right thing to do. This guy's dealing with suicide, with drug addiction, with sexual immorality, and he's looking for someone to look at his face and say, Jesus can forgive you and I'll forgive you too, but they're sick and tired of having us walk around being fake. You know, I've had a little bit of evangelistic success in my life, and the only reason is is because I've just been able to look at people and say, you know what, dude, I know what you're going through. I don't judge you. I really don't. I'll still be your friend tomorrow when no one's looking. 
and eventually they just know that you're telling the truth. And then this is what happens. Life goes on, that crisis pass, and when the next one comes, they remember that you said there's a God that'll forgive them. We just have to be willing to be open and honest with them. They already know we struggle anyway. I promise you they do. So I'm not saying that these people, your friends, family, etc., can actually forgive you in the same way Jesus can. But what I am saying is that confession is good for the soul. It may be bad for the reputation, but that's all right. If your reputation is more important than your intimacy with Jesus and his body, then it's time to reconsider how important your reputation is. I'm going to close with just a few words of caution, but I want to explain what I'm going to do. There are people here right now that feel the Holy Spirit. When God comes in a room and the Holy Spirit moves amongst his people, you can feel him with your body. Jesus is gently calling us to a life of transparency and honesty this morning. So at the end, when Adam comes up and plays some music, I'm going to ask two groups of people to come forward in a few minutes. The first one are people that have never bowed their knee to Jesus. At the beginning, when I explained what the good news of Jesus was, if you know that it's time for you to stop fighting God and to bow your knee and just ask for forgiveness, then I'm going to ask that you come forward. We're not going to embarrass you or anything. We just want you to meet Jesus. The second group of people I'm going to ask to come forward are those of us who have been in the church for a long time and just need to hear Jesus say again, you're forgiven. I'm not going to ask you to confess any sins up here unless you want to, but what I will ask you is that you do business with God. And you at least make a decision to try to work this into your daily life. And it really is not anything more than just being real, just being like you'd like your friends to be with you. You know, not hiding. Because the guilt of sin will make you hide. It doesn't matter what implement you use to kill your pain. It's just we hide from pain because it hurts. Jesus understands that. That's why he died for you. Amen? So a few words of caution. I'm not, I'm not uh, naive. I understand. Um, you need to be wise with who and where you share sins with. I mean, that's just common sense. There are some people that... Um, maybe aren't at a place in their life where they can handle hearing someone be completely honest with them. I totally get that, and that's okay. Just be wise. Go to someone who has a track record of, of, of keeping people's secret things secret. And if you need some recommendations, ask me, or ask Rick, ask Jay, John, you know, any of the leaders here. Um, we'll point you to some good people who are safe people. Secondly, be a good listener and compassionate when someone confesses their sins to you. Just mirror the way Jesus treats you when you confess your sins to him. He doesn't say, I accept you, but. He puts your arm around you and and loves you like a father would a son and says, you're forgiven. And then commands us to look at them and say, you're forgiven. 
And don't tell anyone unless that person asks you to do so. Adam, you can come on up if you want and start to play some music. But my message this morning was really very simple. I simply wanted to encourage us to be real and transparent and to live a life of confession. Again, just to recap, not only with God, most importantly with God, but with His people. You can't expect a full measure of the grace of God if you only do half. Your sins will be forgiven, but we live amongst people. And this body is a safe place of people that love you and that will accept you and that will say you're forgiven. So, do me a favor, just close your eyes, um, not so that there's any tricks or anything, just so that no one feels any undue pressure. And we're just going to be silent for a minute, and we're going to open up the altar for ministry. And I want to ask again that if you've never given your life to Jesus, today's the day to just stop fighting it. And you'll hear you're forgiven. If you've already had your sins forgiven by Jesus, then today's the day to start to live a more transparent life of confession as a lifestyle. And when you come forward, we'll pray that God will give you the grace to do that. Because it's not totally easy. I mean, it takes humility, and that gets easier with practice. So if those of you who are trained to pray could come up here and um, I'll go ahead and pray and we'll do some ministry. If you're sick in your body, if you know someone that's sick, uh, please let us pray for you. If you're um, struggling with anything, let us pray for you. All you're going to experience up here is the grace of Jesus. It's his acceptance and his mercy. You know, there's something about confession, too, and it's not, it doesn't have to be a heavy thing. I remember I was getting ready to go to India, and I had, I had this issue with this person. So before I, I went to India, I said, i gotta, I got to get, get straight with God on this. So I just went to this person and just said, listen, I've not been a good friend to you. I've held this against you, and will you just, just forgive me? Will you please forgive me? And he said, of course I will. And as soon as that happened, it was just a lightness came over me. And that's one of the beauties of confession is that the, what you've been carrying around is gone. It's, it lightens your load. It's a, it is a good thing. It's a fun thing. It's a positive thing. I was like practically dancing, you know, knowing that that thing wasn't on me, in me anymore. So, again, this doesn't have to be heavy. It's just God doesn't want you carrying this stuff around. Amen? Hey, um, I have a story about confession. Um, a lot of you guys know I'm in recovery from um, alcoholism uh, about nine years now. And when the, um, I drank for many, many years uh, to, uh, to feel okay being who I was. And the last few years of my drinking, I um, was having a lot of consequences. And I, every day I would get up and say, I'm not going to drink today. And by the end of the day, I would drink. I was a daily drinker. I was a blackout drinker. I couldn't stop. I could not stop. And when I um, went to treatment, I got out of treatment and I started um, 
uh, I, st- I mean, my head was going at 24-7. I was thinking about drinking and trying to talk myself into the fact that I really didn't have a problem and I would just drink today and that it'd be all right. I drove home from work a different way because I was afraid I was going to stop at the bar. I gave my husband the keys when I got home and I would just cry myself to sleep. I couldn't stop drinking. And when I, conf- when I confessed... Um, I went through my life and I conf- and wrote down all of the sins, all the selfishness and all of the sins um, and that I had committed um, that I knew of at the time. And I confessed that to another person and to God. And I got on my knees and asked God to forgive me for them. Um, and the person, um, and the next day I woke up and my head stopped asking me to drink that day literally was a complete miracle in my life. I'd never, ever, ever felt that way before. And that was almost nine years ago and I haven't drank. And I live that still. I live a life of confession like he was talking about. I have somebody I speak with every week and I tell him, you know, all of the dishonest or selfish or self-seeking things that I had done that week and ask God for forgiveness. And honest to God, my, my head has not once asked me to drink in almost nine years. And it was a real miracle to me in my life. So... If you'd like prayer, just come on up, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna close. If you'd like prayer again, the, the altar is not gonna close till you get it. Um, thank you guys for coming. Just let me do a quick prayer before ministry, and then we'll go ahead and um, make it a week of honesty and transparency. Right? Amen. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here this morning, God, and I would pray that you would. Move upon the hearts of folks who want to hear they're forgiven, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, God, and your grace and your acceptance. We thank you for Penny that you set her free, God. For all the people in this room that have experienced your forgiveness, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name.